Welcome back into Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson here inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan Lavoy, and we've now got Mr. Danny Skutak here in the office in the studio with us to tell us some stories, the good old days of playing football for Auburn and just everything that uh, has been going on in his life. Danny, I appreciate you coming by to hang out with us today. Yeah, no problem. That's great. Yeah, we're excited to kind of go back down memory lane with you and kind of relive what you were able to experience in your career. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm glad to get you in here and, you know, I help kind of set things up. But, uh, you know, you got plenty of stories, but I, I guess we'll just kind of start at uh, – Walking on at Auburn, uh, just from the get-go, what, what made you decide that Auburn was what you wanted to do and, and football was what you wanted to do with Doug Barfield? Well, it it just came about where, you know, I loved football. I was just an average player at Opelika and uh, wasn't big at all. I hadn't really uh, I hadn't really matured, and, right. you know, that, that much. And uh, I decided I'd walk on, and when I got out there, boy, it was a rude awakening, 188 walk-ons back then. Yeah. Uh, they, I think they had 130 some on scholarship, and uh, you know I'm, you know all I could think of was uh, the the two players that actually walked on with me was Brian Atkins and uh, Johnny Green. But a- anyway, we go through practice and everything like that, and you, you, you know the the scholarship guys were holding the dummies for the varsity, and we're sitting there watching them for two hours, and then we hold the the walk-ons hold the dummies for the right. the JV team, so. It was um, it was pretty tough, and I actually quit. Uh, got tired of it and quit. And my I had a roommate that was out there walking on Kevin Cannon. Chip Sconyers was also a uh, a friend of mine. And I after about four or five days, you know, they're coming home telling me all this stuff, and they're tired and everything like that. And I kind of I missed it. You right. know, I went back out there and told the uh, the trainer that. I had the flu. He said, no, that's not going to cut it. He said, look, you have the flu. You come to me. I'll excuse you. He said, you're going to. So I ran for a week to get back on there. But it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, you don't know how close you are to success, you know, when you do quit. So, you know, that's the story in itself. Yeah. And then, you know, as you got into your playing time, you know, there's the story from uh, from 1979 against NC State. Me and you have talked about this story. I'll let you tell these guys the story. You, You break your foot leg ankle uh, uh, that you broke in the uh, first quarter of that game and kept on playing right it was uh, I got leg whipped and my fibula which is the outside bone on your ankle and I had a high ankle sprain the sprain was actually worse than the break but uh, when it happened, I remember, you know, I remember Buddy Nix showing me on the t- uh, on the film. He was saying, "Watch you right here. This is it." He said, "You go down like you were shot." <laughs> and uh, I tell you what, this was my, after the fact, though, right? That you're looking at the the film, right? Of the injury right. But, that I, took but, place? but but during the game, I'll tell you how I got in there. Yeah, I'll tell you how I got in there. I was sick the the week before we played Tennessee up in Tennessee, and we lost five defensive starters. I was a second team defensive end on the outside or outside linebacker and uh, I ran down on punts and kickoffs of course I led that's how I made my name back then you know and uh, the next game here I am lined up in the middle with Freddie Smith who's the all-time leading tackler at Auburn right and I'm calling plays and I got them written on my wrist and it's my first start and Lord of mercy I was not coming out of that game for nothing (laughs) I had to break my neck to come out of that game 
you know, and that's what I said. The first thing I told Dr. Andrews when I, when I went in there, I said, can I play? He said, do you want to play on this? And I said, yeah. He said, well, we could shoot it up, you know, and, and that, that's what they did. So we're, we're, we're going to get into the tough man stuff here in just a yeah. second. You're a tough guy. How did that develop? Because, I mean, you see guys now that they're out for two weeks with a, a, a hangnail. You know, they've got plantar fasciitis or something. They're out for a month. You know, they're tired and they're out for two days. You play a game on a broken leg. I mean, where did that mentality and that toughness come from? It's like I said, I was so excited to, to have my first start, you know, and, and I was in the – if there was any way I could stay in that game, I wanted to. And I remember at the end of the – you know, during the game, at the end of the game, they asked me why I did it. And I said, you know, really, the team needed me. I said, we were – we, we lost uh, five defensive starters. Two of them were linebackers. We had uh, – and and, I, and poor Mike McQuaig, he was a fifth-year senior. Yeah. Uh, the next year – I mean, the next uh, week we had to play a Vanderbilt, and I wasn't able to play because I had, you know, injured it. And and he's a fifth-year senior all beat up. And I remember him just staring at me with a blank stare with ice on his shoulders and his knees and his hips over there and you know but it, but you know I've always been my old man he he raised me that way uh he was in the air force he was a colonel in the air force and it was you know you had to follow a strict regime and uh and you didn't uh, you didn't quit you know right. he, he he didn't put up with that yep. That's wild to just think about the toughness, you know, and, and kind of how that has changed a little bit and sitting here trying to process still the injury that took place. And you're like, I'm going to keep playing. Yeah, well, you see a lot of these guys, you know, when they go down and I watch them on the field, you know, my my five years out there, you know, four years, I, I lettered three years. I started actually, you know, I, I never had anybody had to come out. They didn't have to stop the game again because back then the coaches told us, you know, look, it's going to cost us a timeout, and it, you know, and I, and I didn't want to, I didn't actually didn't want to get in trouble, you know, yeah. cost them a timeout. So you know, I, you know, even if I was hurt, got the breath knocked out of me or anything like that, I, I'll tell you one time in practice, and this this was, uh, you know, shows a little toughness, but. I came down on somebody's knee, hit me in the solar plexus, and guys piled on the back of me. I had the breath knocked out of me, and we were doing a scrimmage drill. And Buddy Nix was my coach, and he ended up being a general manager for the Buffalo Bills. But anyway, uh, I'm laying on the ground with the breath knocked out of me, making a few noises, and I'm getting up slow. And uh, Buddy says, Scooter, get out of here. I said, no. I said, no, I ain't getting out. You know, I ain't getting out. I was, you know, I was still hurting, you know. And so he said, he said, line it up again. He did it real quick. You know, he didn't want to give me any chance to, to recover. You know, line it up again. And I saw the uh, the scout team offensive coach over there looking over my shoulder. And I looked back and I saw Buddy motioning to him. So I knew what they were going to do. In a 5-2 defense, I line up on the, on the guard. The guard blocks down. On the load play, they blocked down. They double teamed the uh, the nose guard, and here comes the fullback at me. And I knew the play they were going to run. So as soon as the ball was snapped, I met the fullback in the backfield, blew the play up, and everything. <laughs> Everybody started cheering, and uh, we're going to the next drill. And uh, buddy, he he runs up beside me and says, "Scooter, I ain't never heard you do that before." <laughs> and I said, "What's that, coach?" He said, "Lay on the ground and squeal like a woman." <laughs> <laughs> and, and you are here. Uh, you know, for the end of Doug Barfield, but also for the beginning of Pat Dye. What was that like to 
uh, have Pat Dye come in there. And, and what were your first impressions of Coach Dye? Well, I tell you, the first meeting we had was in the wintertime. And we're sitting in there. The underclassmen are sitting on the, uh, on the floor up against the wall. The upperclassmen, we're all in chairs. And it's in the winter of, uh, I guess, 80 or 80, 81, right in there. It, it's, it's around, you know, Christmas break. And Coach Dye told everybody that he didn't want anybody in there but the ball players. That was it. So he <laughs> walks in there, and he, and Lionel James is sitting up against the wall, and he kicks Lionel's foot. Lionel had his foot stuck out. And, and, and Coach Dye, you know, everybody's – I mean, you could hear a pin drop in there. Everybody's waiting. And uh, he looks at Lionel and says, who are you? I, I think he thought he was a manager. And, and, <laughs> and uh, Lionel said – Lionel James, he said, he said, stand up. He stood up. He said, what do you play? He said, I play running back. And he, and Coach and I looked at us, and he said, now that's what's wrong with this team right now. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sitting there going, oh, Lord, Coach, you get rid of him. You, I yeah. said, that's our whole offense. You know, <laughs> that, that, is, like a, you know, that is little train James. Yeah, that yeah. was. That was. And, and of course, he was, a, he was an underclassman at the time, but he'd already proven himself on the field that he was going right. to be something special. And then he looked around, and, and Marshall Riley, the biggest, uh, baddest uh, defensive lineman on the, probably in the SEC. You know, he was he he didn't know his strength, and uh, he's sitting there in a surly posture in the in the desk. You know, and uh, he said, "Where's Marshall Riley at?" Marshall Marshall raises his hand. He said, "Did you go to school today?" He said, "Nope." He said, did you go to school yesterday? He said, nope. He said, you going to school tomorrow? He said, nope. He said, get the blank out of here. <laughs> yeah. like Marshall gets up, throws his uh, desk down, run, goes out, slams the door behind him. And, and Coach Dye said, now, I'm going to tell you something, you guys something. He said, I'm going to build a championship here. He said, you guys are either going to be with me or without me. He said, there's going to be a lot of guys in this room that aren't going to be here this fall. He said, but... It, but the folks that stick with me, they're gonna they're gonna see some championships, you know. Right. And so, uh, you know, it went like that. And then, you know, and he, I tell you what, well, I'll, I'll keep that. I'll keep the the next one to to myself. Because, <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. Um, but it, but then you turn that 1981 season into all SEC performance, uh, right? Uh, you know, and and then you become close to uh, to Coach Die. Um, you guys remained close until his death. Um, but now let's admit you you were, you had already made a bit of a reputation for yourself. I guess uh, you're kind of a hellraiser in uh, your college yeah. days, and uh, uh, Pat Dye had to kind of rein you in, didn't he? Well, he did, and uh, I remember. Um, we went five and six that year. We lost to Tennessee. We fumbled on the one-yard line at the end of the game, ran out of timeouts, and uh, the, the time ran out on us. We right. went all the way down the field, so should have won that game. We lost that game 10-7. Uh, to 7. And then the Wake Forest game was the opening game. It was the first night game at Auburn. Uh-huh. And uh, they threw a pass to the tight end. I remember I was out there and I was looking at the tight end and I was looking at the running back and I was wondering which one I was supposed to get and uh, you know I, I had the running back you know and I was looking out there and you know the, they the tight end was covered up he was on the line of scrimmage there was a guy outside on the line so they threw to him it was an illegal play that's right. how they won that game and then the kicker this is the kicker right here Mississippi State less than two minutes left in the game I block a punt put us ahead. 
and uh, we get the ball back on the 50-yard line. Coach Dye calls a no call, which, you know, Bob Hicks was the freshman. I don't know who's telling the truth. Bob said, you know, he, <laughs> Coach Dye said he told him not to snap it under no circumstances. But anyway, the guy jumps off sides. Bob Hicks snaps the ball and catches him. The referee throws the flag and calls an illegal snap. Gives oh. it back to Mississippi State with John Bond, you know, right. Danny Knight and Marty McDowell and all them guys. They went down the field and scored the, the winning touchdown. So... You know, the headlines the next day, what would it have been, you know? Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, now, also in your playing days, uh, you, had to, you had to go up against Herschel Walker, one of, the, one of the best running backs ever in the history of college football, and you had to try to tackle Herschel Walker, especially yeah. in 1980 and 81. Right, and we held him to under 100 yards, I think, both times. I know in 80 we did. He had, uh, he had 43 carries for yeah. 73 yards. 27 of them was around my end. They they did a uh, power sweep to the other side, and I was the backup. Buck Ballou gets behind me, and here comes Herschel. He bounced, 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 so here he comes, yep. and Buck Ballou, Buck Ballou blocks me, and that's on the, the front page of the Atlanta Constitution, you right. know. And and so that was, uh, that was a 27-yard a run, I believe. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And he scores the touchdown, and the, and we lose that game thirty to twenty, about ten points. But earlier in that game, I missed a tackle on him in the backfield. Uh, instead of uh, cutting his legs out from under him, I decided to go high. Now they have tearaway jerseys. Right. I grabbed him around the shoulder pads, going to sling him down, and he gave me the the limp leg. And then I I just ripped his shirt his jersey off, and he left me laying back there. And that was on a that was on a third and five. They get the first down, and they kick a field goal. And then I get called for a block in the back. On a punt return, James Brooks returned it for a touchdown. And Buddy Nix told me later on that uh, in, in the film room, he said, he said, Scooter, he said, you were in, he said, we lost by 10 points and you were involved in, uh, let's see, seven, 17 points. He said, Hell, boy, if I wouldn't have played you, we'd have won the game. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy, what was your playing size? Like, context for us, this is the early 80s. What was your playing size to be a defensive end and playing SEC competition? Okay, well, a defensive end actually was an outside linebacker at that time, and that's in a 5-2 defense. My junior year, we played uh, 4-3, and I played outside linebacker. And then my senior year, when Coach Dye came in here, we played a 5-2, and I played middle linebacker again. But to start out with, when I was running down on kickoffs and punts, I was about a hundred and between one hundred ninety-five and two hundred. My sophomore year, wow. when I got the broke ankle and Sports Illustrated Defensive Player of the Week, I was listed at two hundred two, and I was playing middle linebacker. And uh, I went—I was going up against the Outland Trophy winner, Mark Risher. Yeah, uh, he was—he uh, played for the Buffalo Bills for a while, but. Um, my junior year, I was about 2'8", 2'12", and my senior year, about 2'8", 2'12", something like that, you know, just depending on, you know. How tall? About right under 6'2". I've never been 6'2", but... Haven't you know, got there yet. Yeah. Haven't got there yet. <laughs> so, so at the biggest, 6'2", 2'12". Right, right. And then uh, 
still hadn't stopped growing though. <laughs> yeah. When I, I signed with Denver, went down to the last cut. When I got off the plane, you know, my mother's always telling me that's the best she ever looked. You know, and right. I was I was about two eighteen then. I got you. Well, well, Danny, you went. Uh, you just mentioned Denver. You made it to the last cut there. I uh, played some with uh, Calgary Stampeders and some with the uh, that's in CFL. Some with the Pittsburgh Maulers and the USFL. But let's move on to some of this uh, tough man stuff because I know how much you like to talk about it and how we were talking about uh, the videos and everything. But what got you in that? Uh, you were telling me that uh, uh, 1994 you won right. a tournament in Lee County. But, I mean, what what got you involved in that idea that, hey, I, I want to go and jump into this tough man contest and either get my brains beat in or beat somebody's brains well, in? Well, you got to go back to when I was about 14 years old. I was in Ramstein, Germany, like I said, getting in a lot of trouble, getting in a lot of fights, you know, in school. And uh, I remember after basketball practice, my old man, you know, he came up to me and he said, look, they got these uh, these boxers down here. It was the, uh, the Junior Olympics. And so mm-hmm. these guys were like uh, 16, 18. And they were under 18. Right. And they needed sparring partners. The old man signed me up to be one of them so right after basketball practice i got to go in there and get my head beat in you know <laughs> but anyway these guys were uh, they they knew how to box and and uh, of course they had their way with me but i learned a lot i learned how to survive and uh, in fact i remember one of the uh, the the boxers in there he was always pointing at me pointing at me and of course everybody had a mean look on their face because you're going through you know the rigors of of, right. of beating each other up and I and I asked the guy. I said, "Why does he always want me?" Does, does, I mean, one of the coaches. I said, "What? What? Does, you know, does he have something against me?" He said, "No." He said, "He, he, he says you're the only one fight back." You know, so, <laughs> so that that was kind of good. So then, fast forward, I watched Butterbean on TV. I think he was fight, fighting a guy, Scotty Bishner, and it was probably in the early '90s. And I was watching those guys, and I was watching the tournament. And I said, "Man, I could." You know, I can compete with these guys because I could tell, you know, I knew a little bit about boxing. I had a little bit of skills. I always had a heavy bag hanging up uh, and a speed bag and also, you know, and, and, and did it myself. And I was in my 30s. Uh, I think I was 34 years old. All of a sudden, tough man comes to Auburn. And uh, I remember Steve Logue telling me, he said, he said, Danny, he said, man, you, you, you got a reputation here, man. Uh, you know, he said, you don't need to do this. And I said, look, I said, you know, tough man comes to Auburn, they're going to have to go through me. (laughs) And so so I end up winning that and I qualified for the the Nationals, which is the World Tough Man Championship. It was in Asheville, North Carolina. JJ's hometown. uh, Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. That's a beautiful country up there. Went up there and uh, the first guy, uh, actually the way they used to do it in the old days, they had uh, about 50 or 60 of them we all fought two fights. They got down to 16 for the second night, and that's the night they put on TV. First fight, I get a guy named Jason Topolinski. He's another Polish guy. You know, I don't know, Skutak's Polish, so, you know, and I figured it was going to be tough. He was kind of a short, stocky guy. I got in there, and uh, and he was a good boxer, and, you know, I lost a split decision to him, and then... Uh, Next night, I watched that guy go through the tournament. He fought the Alaskan assassin, Cody Coke, in the finals and lost a split decision to him. So I'm sitting there going, look, man, I, I lost one of the best guys in the tournament. So then I went back down to Dothan, won the tournament down in Dothan, qualified for the national up in Detroit, went up to Detroit, 
and, and luckily Jason wasn't in that that fight, and I, I ended up winning it. And, and so that, that's the the Tough Man World Championship, nineteen ninety six, and you were thirty seven years old. Yeah, I was the oldest one in the tournament. Thirty seven right. years old, and let's see what you tell you six total fights. Right, you had to I win had six two, total fights at thirty seven years old, and and it went it went about the same way. It's funny that looking back on it because I got a little short, stocky guy the first night. This wasn't on TV. The only, we had like 55, 56 guys in the right. tournament. The only draw was me and him. It was a draw. And I said, Lord, I hope they don't put me in there with him again. So <laughs> I get him again. And when we got in there, I seen he had a, you know, swolled up eye. So I knew I'd, I'd, I'd cracked him a time or two. And I ended up a split decision. And I was, and I was saying, you know, that, give it to him i was saying give it to him i didn't want to get into the, and they gave it to me and i said oh lord i got in the <laughs> second night to get knocked out on national tv you right. know and so just to keep people up engaged and up to speed and that sort of thing and to make sure everybody's on the same page tough man essentially this is boxing right, right you're in it. a ring right how are, are, are the rounds how long are they typically going like set the scene for us right and art door and he started this and and he knew he couldn't go three minute rounds because you know those are pro boxing rules so yeah. you get you go in there you get your business done they were one minute rounds with a wow. one minute rest and so you had to do your business in one minute and the thing about it is when we got up there due, they said due to time constraints we have to cut the rest to 45 seconds and i'm sitting there i i, I said oh lord you know, <laughs> you know i was the the one minute wasn't enough for me you know yeah and, and also to set the stage for anybody that's not seen this there's no dancing around like you see in boxing Bell rings, yeah. Fists are going. That's right. I mean, it it is it is. There's no dancing around with each other. I mean, that's right. It's ding, and it's here we go. Yeah, like fist I said, are, you, gotta get, you gotta get your business done, and uh, of course, bo- knowing some boxing skills helps. But uh, you know, really, the the four fights the second night were easier for me than the two fights the first night because that boy knew how to box, and and so did I. the The second night, I was worried about. Because these guys were knocking people out, and here I was with a draw and a split decision. But the second night, I get in there, and these guys are are coming at me trying to smoke me, and and they're running into all my bombs, and you yeah. know I could hit with the best of them, and it was like a dream come true. You know, I was knocking them all over the ring. You yeah. know, you get to the championship round. Uh, the, the what was the guy? Sugar Ray the, Hammond. Sugar Ray Hammond. The the guy's a, a beast. I mean, yeah. he he is an absolute monster. Long ponytail. Uh, just a guy that looked like an untouchable force. They had been building this guy up as he was going to be the champion. That's right. Had done a whole special on him. That's right. And what'd and, you do to him? Yeah. Well, I you know I, <laughs> I got in there and, and of course I had Cody Coke in the in the corner with me and right. and he was a, a actually a professional at this time and he was telling me look just you know stay away from the right you know and 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 keep keep moving and keep that jab out there and just do what you've been doing the guy don't like to get hit you know and when i went out there uh, i don't know i was in a zone by that time i was floating and and my, my my left jab was just like a cobra it was coming out and i was tagging him of course he tagged me a few times but uh i had him on his heels and then uh about the end of the last 30 seconds maybe last no last 16 seconds of the second round i did uh i used to watch uh 
Salvador Sanchez. Not a lot of people know who he is, but but he fought Little Red Lopez one time, and he'd do a dip move. He'd dip down with his left jab to the belly and come over the top with the overhand right, and we always called that the Salvador Sanchez dip move. Right. And I had done tried everything on Sugar Ray Ham. And of course, I've caught, I, I was winning the fight. You know, don't get me wrong. I was carving him up. He tried to but, headbutt you one time. Yeah, he did at the end when he knew yep. he was losing. But I, I said, well, let's see what he does with the dip move. And I did I did the dip move, a little little dip move, and I smacked him one good one. And, and it backed him up, and I backed up because of it, because I hit him so hard. And I said, oh, Lord, he's a sucker for the dip move. <laughs> and, then he came, and so here he comes. You know, he's coming to get me. And I do a, I do a strong dip move and knocked him, you know, knocked him down. And I thought, I thought it there's no way this guy's getting up the guy gets up i pop my mouthpiece back in my mouth you know because i had it i was breathing so hard i had it you know sticking out and i i said you got to finish him and then bing the the bell rings and so he gets a rest yeah and you end up winning that one what does he what did he say at the end his his famous line he'd only been knocked down yeah he said uh you know of course uh butterbean was doing all the uh commentating on me and he said uh only been knocked down and never been knocked out only been knocked down twice both of them from out uh one from the butter bean and one from danny boy both of them alabama boys from what i remember <laughs> awesome danny skutak is here with us we're going to keep you with us for one more segment we'll take a quick okay. break and, and then we'll be back to chat with him got a couple of callers on the line as well that want to say hello to danny so uh, we'll do that in just a moment alongside tom pv ryan lavoy and danny skutak i'm jj jackson one hour in the books and we're rolling One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson alongside Tom Peavy and Ryan LaVoy. Excited to have Danny Skutak in the studio with us telling stories from his Auburn football playing days and tough man world competitions and championships that he participated in. Going to get some phone calls here in just a moment. 334-887-3401. Let me set you up for a football question here, Danny boy. All right. Your best Iron Bowl story from your playing days. The best story you got, you could pick any of them, playing against Alabama and getting to be somebody that's participated in the Iron Bowl. Well, I could say, and I know my mother would say, that my my junior year I had probably one of my best games up there. Um, I, I had a lot of stops on third down. I, I stopped uh, Walter Lewis on, on, on fourth and one. But uh, 
I'd rather go to the 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 life experience. My senior year with Coach Dye, and we were poised to really do good against them. I mean, we, I mean, they had they had us in like a six one defense with me in the middle on on some uh, some defenses. But all the seniors go out to shake hands on both sides of the field, you know. And so we come out to meet in the middle, and uh, we're on national TV. And this is very unlike me. Uh, but I, I bring attention to myself because when they all go to shake hands, I turn my back and run back to the sidelines and don't shake my man's hand. You know, I, I, I was thinking I was going to shake it at the... Well, evidently the Lord was watching that. I get my ankle rolled up in the first quarter. I'm limping around out there. Same thing, you know. Of course, you know, we had a pretty decent linebacker in Greg Carr behind me, and he plays uh, a lot of the game. And and I got guys coming up to me, and we're in that game all the way to the end. I'm telling you, we were in that game. And, you know, I had and, – and, of course, here I am. I'm going to the blue-gray game and going to the senior bowl, and I got a tore-up ankle. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I've, I've already decided I'm not playing. And, uh, you know, have a bunch of my, you know, the fourth quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter comes around. We're still in the game and, you know, got all my teammates coming at me. Come on, Scooter, man. We need you. We need you. And so I kind of throwed my helmet down and went and let them shoot it up and got in there. And, of course, we lost the game. But anyway, I, I end up missing the uh, the blue-gray game and I'm limping around in the senior bowl and I don't get drafted. So, you know, that kind of cost me there. But... I really feel the fact that I brought attention to myself like that, if I'd have just been a good sport and shook the guy's hand, I think everything would be right. right. But, you know, like I said, I think the Lord works in mysterious a- ways. Amen. Tell me about your junior year. Why did your mom think that that game was so great? Tell me well, about it. Yeah, I had, a, I had a bunch of tackles in that game. I was all over the field. Uh, I was. We, we were in a 4-3 defense, and... Uh, you know, you either had the – they were running the wishbone with Walter Lewis, who was one of the fastest guys, you know, uh, and one of the best runners there, wa- there was in the country at the time. And, um, you know, I just – like I said, uh, when you stop somebody on third and short, you know, it's like you're the one, you know, stopping the drive. Yeah. You know, they got a punt. And so – and we were in that game until the fourth quarter. And we played a good game against them. But I – like I said, I'd, I'd made a bunch of tackles and a bunch of tackles that really counted, you know, at the time. So a lot of attention came my way. Would your parents always give you feedback after every game? Were they sort of the first people that you would hear from? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, – Were they your toughest critics? Were they harsh on you at all? Or do you feel like uh, they were pretty pleased easily? Well, uh, my mother was – couldn't have been more proud of me and she's a good game good game good game but my old man when i'd go when i'd go over there he'd go hey i saw you loafing out there you know i'd say i'd say i'd say dad i i, I led the team in tackles he said hell boy if i was middle linebacker i'd lead the team in tackles too you know <laughs> stuff like that i seen you you must have been drinking beer all week or something like that of course i wasn't gonna say anything different but, yeah. but, I, but, but he had me pegged that's awesome but, what, what would uh so you know bear bryant was still coaching alabama at that time what would bear bryant have said about you or did bear bryant ever say anything about you uh from playing in the iron bowls yeah well uh i remember i uh, went over to barney gulledge's uh, house one morning to watch the uh the the game day and had bear bryant out there and uh i had uh i had slipped out aside from the middle linebacker position you know uh and tackled uh, Major Ogilvy for about a five-yard loss, and uh, I remember Bear Bryant saying that, "Yeah, they they got a little, they got a lot of speed out there, you know, yeah. like that." So that was that was probably the only thing I, right. I I ever heard him say. But he knew about you. 
I guess he did, you know. <laughs> but. Well, let me get a phone call in here then. We got uh, some people that want to say hello to Danny Skutak, 334-887-3401, and one of our very loyal callers here into the program. Ward Dam Steve. Our good friend, retired Ward Dam Steve, has called in to say hello to Danny. Steve, are you there with us? I'm here, and I'm enjoying Ward Dam Eagle to Mr. Ward Dam Skutak. All right, War Eagle, Steve. Hey, Ms. Skutak, you are in a privileged class. Uh, you are a walk-on. I forgot about that until I researched you uh, before I got online here uh, with you. And uh, you have you're in good company with people like Mr. Kevin Green, right? Mr. Bill Newton, right? Uh, Mr. Jason Miska, that's right. And uh, uh, I, I want to applaud you for uh, being uh, a person who chose, even without a scholarship, without even an NIL offer right oh yeah that, uh, they didn't have that back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no i know that yeah i'm 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 being sarcastic there right. <laughs> you you loved auburn you wanted to go to auburn that's and right and i i want to applaud you for that and not only were you really great when you played you were tough as nails in fact uh i saw this uh comment made by coach die about you and i'm sure you you may Hopefully you know it. But uh, when Dow was asked about you, here's what he said. He said that you were, in quotes, any player that he coached. And he went on to say that you played the game ferociously and always at full speed. Did you know he'd said that about you? Uh, I was I was aware of it. I didn't actually hear that, but I heard it from other people. And, you know, when you hear it from other people, you think they may exaggerate a little bit about it. But, you know, that that, that for, for coming from a coach like Coach Dye, and he's a defensive coach, he knows, and, you know, he's a former All-American at, at Georgia, and he was an undersized player at Georgia. So coming from him, it means a lot. Well, here's how impressive uh, as a player you were while at Auburn. Uh, you were on a team, unfortunately, uh, the first year, your last year, though, uh, for Coach Pat Dye. Uh, they went five and six, and yet you were a first-team All-SEC selection in 81. And that the, is... I, I was going to say, if you, if you know who the two other uh, All-SEC selections were, was Johnny Cooks from uh, Mississippi State, and um, uh, let's see, there's a, uh, a player, uh, linebacker from Alabama, Thomas Boyd. And uh, and, and actually, me and Thomas Boyd and uh, Johnny Cooks end up playing in the the Senior Bowl that year. Well, and I'm glad to know that you were not one of these people that tend to flop now on the football team, you know, just to get a timeout. Right, right. Like I said, I never had to uh, stop a game. I, I came off the field by myself, and believe me, I was hurt a lot. And, you know, uh, I applaud you for, you know, you're willing to, to be a walk-on. Did you end up receiving a scholarship, sir? I did, uh, actually. Uh, I walked on the fall of 77. I believe that um, uh, I'm thinking that in 76, 77, right in there, walked on in 77. Then the following year in 78, uh, I got on special teams. And I don't know if you remember or not, but I actually led the led the team in uh, in tackles on punt, punts and kickoffs. And I, yeah, I was known for going down on the kickoffs, being like a kamikaze guy. You know? <laughs> well, and, I just remember that you had no fear. I mean, you just go straight after people and you didn't avoid them. That's right. Uh, that's 
lot, and, and I was going to say, a lot of times I'd go in there, you know, you have the wall buster. The guy goes down there, busts the wall up. I, I know I'd be running full speed. I'd see their eyes get big, those guys in the wall. And then I'd, <laughs> I'd start to duck my head, and they'd go get somebody else. And all of a sudden, I'd hit the ball carrier coming up the middle. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't have it planned like that. That happened a lot. Well, again, I want to thank you for choosing uh, to, to be an Auburn football player, not because of any money handed to you uh, under the table or otherwise, but because you chose you want to be an Auburn player. And for that, uh, I commend you on that. Uh, also, real quickly, sir, uh, you know, you played uh, with some really other really great players on that team, and I was wondering, do you have any more contact with him? Like Al Del Greco, he was on the team when you were there. Uh, not too much. I know that um, George People, who has passed away, uh, had some contact with him. Donnie Humphrey, who's passed away, uh, had some contact with him. But, uh, you know, if you look back at our defense, uh, just about everybody on that defense played a little bit of pro ball. That's how good that defense was. And, and Coach Orgel, you know, he was uh, he was the head of that defense. And, and he had us in a position to where, you know, we were we were in a lot of games because of the defense. I don't know if you remember the uh, the Nebraska game that year, but we had them three nothing at halftime, and we, I remember that. And uh, they had uh, Dave Remington at center. He was the Rem- that's who the Remington Award was named after. They had Roger Craig who ended up playing forever with the uh, San Francisco 49ers. They had Mike Rozier back there, who was the Heisman Trophy winner the next year. They had Irvin Fryer out there. They had a bunch of guys on defense. And, I mean, these guys were ranked fourth in the country, and we had them 3 nothing at halftime. And when we were running off the field, I think they said it was the first time that they were behind, you know, uh, at, at halftime in, I don't know, 40-some years. Ended up uh, – our offense fumbles on the eight. They have an eight-yard drive for a touchdown, and they fumbled on the three, and they had a three-yard drive oh. for a touchdown. So that's how we lost that game, 17-3. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I say about Auburn uh, teams, they have a way of just tearing your heart out just when you think, you know, you might actually pull the game out. So, uh, you know, uh, at 71 years of age, I'm used to it, unfortunately, that uh, I, you know, I know I can't ever count on an easy win uh, for Auburn teams, whether it's baseball or football. Uh, so I always say, you know, uh, if you're an Auburn fan, then you know what it means to just be agonizing and never take anything for granted. But uh, I sure didn't take you for granted. But I love seeing you play. And I did see here that you actually were in the USFL uh, Pittsburgh Ballers team. Is that right? I was. I was. Actually, got, I, I got cut early, and then I got called back. And uh, Hank Bulla ended up taking over the team, and he, he was looking at some film, and, and, and he saw me on the film and, and got me back up there. Were you there for more than one season? No, because the Pittsburgh Maulers was a uh, they they were an expansion team at the time. I think the uh, the the USFL started in '83, and uh, the the uh, Pittsburgh Maulers uh, expanded. They were an expansion team in '84, so uh, that's when I went up there. And of course, I, in '83, I was up uh, in Calgary, and uh, then. A lot of them teams dropped out the next year. I think some of them still played, but the Pittsburgh Maulers, they were only a one-year team. Okay. And I hope I'm not being too personal. If I am, you tell me. But uh, can you share with us or not what uh, you're doing now? Oh, I, I'm actually out at Fat Daddy's um, handling the kitchen out there. Um, you know, Tom's out there, too. So, you you know, folks need to come out there and see us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some good food out there and, and good atmosphere. And, uh, you know, Fat Daddy's a place to be. 
Okay, well, that's good to know. And uh, again, I want to thank you uh, for deciding to be uh, an Auburn person and choosing Auburn to play for. So you, to me, exemplify uh, what I, I've always looked on uh, for people who play for Auburn. Um, not, not about greed and not about, you know, uh, the spotlight, but just wanted to do your best and to be a model for the people beyond football. And you've been that. All right. Enough of my rambling, sir. It's so good to talk to you. And uh, I wish you uh, the best in, uh, in the rest of your life, personally and professionally. And uh, as always, War Damn Eagle to you, sir. All Thank right. you for, for being available. War Eagle. War Eagle, Steve. Good to hear from you. That's our uh, our good friend, retired War Damn Steve, joining us there on the phone lines. Good to catch up from folks, and I will take a couple of phone calls if folks want to call in 887-3401. Uh, the one thing I was going to say, I mean, yeah, you're, you're doing the, the kitchen over there uh, at Fat Daddy's, but, uh, but one of the main things, I mean, you still keep yourself in shape. I know you, you do a lot of fishing, but I mean, you still train. You still you still do some of the, the fighting and the training side of things. Right, and uh, of course, I have a... I'm, kind of waiting on getting my knee fixed i I need an artificial knee and that's uh kind of keeping me down but yeah this last summer i had a uh, i had a uh, a little challenge from a, a 19 20 year old wanted to get in there zach i can't remember his last name but he got in there with me and uh and we went a few rounds of course i was on the ground a couple times uh, uh one time I, I i i bounced back and my, my leg gave way but but another time i'll give him the knockdown but uh I caught him in the in the gut a couple times, and uh, and I heard him, and uh, I finished the fight with him uh, him pretty much on his heels. So I was pretty <laughs> proud of that. You know, he had forty years on me. Yeah, and and then also uh, you know outdoors, uh, you did a lot of outdoor stuff with Pat Dye um, before his death. You used to go quail hunting out there uh, with Pat and, uh, and with Coach Dye. And well, actually, Coach Dye, I, n- I never went quail hunting, but Coach Dye had me and a buddy of mine come out okay. there and fish in his pond. Okay. And uh, and it was it was pretty it was pretty pretty nice. And you know, uh, and, and and one story about Pat Dye is I, I hadn't seen him, and uh, we had a reunion right before nine um, eleven, and it was uh, Ball State. And uh, it was the 81 team, the 20-year reunion. It was 2001. It was on a Sunday, and I believe 9-11 was on a Monday. No, it was on a, a Saturday, but 9-11 was on a Monday, right? right? I, I'm thinking that. Right. But, in, but anyway, the first time Coach Dye saw me, he said, I told him not to snap that ball. And of, <laughs> uh, of all the plays and all the championships and all the every, every game, big games that he was in, when he saw my face, he remembered that, right. you know. I, uh, another question I was going to ask, you shared a story with me, but uh, you had a couple interactions with Charles Barkley. When Barkley came here in 81, uh, you were wrapping yourself up in 81, but y- y'all had a couple interactions that... Uh, yeah, I think I think Charles came here in 80, actually. Was it? Okay. Yeah, I, I think he did. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, I, I know I was a junior, and uh, he, he, he needed to go get his books and wanted somebody who knew the way around. He said, I want, I want you, you to take me, you know, and so... We went to the bookstore, which was in Haley Center, and we get all our books, and Charles got a ton of books, you know. And, and of course, you know, back then, Charles was, uh, you know, they called him the... the he was fat. The, the round... Yeah, there you go. Fat. The round mound to rebound, you know. <laughs> but you'd be impressed watching the, the practices, uh, how right. that guy got up and moved people out of the way. But anyway, we're in, the, we're in there, and he's got a, a you know, a, just a, 
armful of books and and uh we're i got a few that i needed and we're walking out and there's a big line over there and he goes oh lord you know and i said no charles we go to the scholarship side over here and there wasn't anybody at the scholarship side there was a woman back there that and she looked at us and she said i'm pretty good at this uh you play baseball looked at me you know because i'm standing beside him it's making me look small you know so and and i'm not a big guy anyway so um i said no ma'am uh i play football she said what are you a kicker and i said (laughs) i said i said no i play linebacker and she kind of shook her head and she looked at charles and said now i know you play football and he goes no ma'am i play basketball (laughs) i I told charles after that i said she wasn't too good at that Uh, oh for two (laughs) let's get another phone call 334-887-3401 david in auburn has called it David, we appreciate the phone call. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Mr. Skutak, I understand that uh, for the Tough Man competition, you trained with another Auburn legend named Mark Cabellus. Well, yeah, I did. Uh, actually, he trained me. Uh, he was my weight trainer, and uh, the guy that I sparred with was Travis Page, and I couldn't have had two better guys in there because Travis was a Yoshikai karate instructor that loved boxing, and Mark DeBellis is probably one of the best uh, weight trainers in the, in Lee County or, or in East Alabama, I, w- I would say. Both those guys, when I got uh, done with them, they they both looked at me. Uh, Travis said, "You're ready," and and I and of course I had doubts. And and I remember I, I did my last sets with uh, my my last weight uh, sets with uh, Mark, and Mark said. Uh, you're ready. And I said, I don't know. But, you know, those guys knew knew better than me. Well, now, I've worked out with Mark for probably 20, 22 years, and I'm still fat and weak. What What do you think the difference is? <laughs> it's, you know, thank God for good-looking parents, you know. You got to look at them. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you got to have the genes, you know. That's all I'm saying. And I, and I, I think I was lucky in that respect. <laughs> Hard work didn't have anything to do with it, did it? Well, it, it, it you know, the, the hard work comes along with it, but you got to have a base there, you know. Well, we're proud of everything you've done. Okay, well, I, I can tell you that. I sure do appreciate that. Good to talk to you. David, yeah, we appreciate the phone call as well. That's uh, that's David in Auburn joining us there on the program. I tell you, the, these these tough man stories are fun just because growing up in the mid-90s, you know, it's it's not something that I hear of as much now and and this was happening when i was coming into the world so uh just to kind of hear these stories and that sort of thing uh danny is is fun to to learn what this was this tough man world sort of was and i know tom was talking about folks getting to see the the videos of this taking place at one of the other nights over at fat daddy's yeah yeah and and that's the thing jj and danny can attest to this these are these are bruiser guys but these are not fat out of shape just sluggers just getting in there and throwing their arms around i mean these dudes were i mean these these guys look like monsters yeah by by the time i got there and and uh butterbean said it in the beginning he said look these guys were good back when i was in he said but they're working out now yeah and and it's, it's like tom said when you looked at all of them you could tell these guys were all in shape and ready to go so you know i look yeah, and, and, and you know, and it's a, a one minute round, and I mean, they, they, like I said it before, there's no dancing around. It, right. The bell rings, and I mean, fists are going, and it's it's no let up because, like Danny said, if you let up, 
you're going to get knocked down or you're going to not get that decision. So tough man competitions, amateur boxing, as you're saying, and, and there were opportunities for some folks to then start a professional career out of this, right? Right. Uh, Tommy Morrison started with the tough man. Greg Haugen started with the tough man. Butterbean started with the tough man. And he ended up being like, Butterbean ended up being, you know, he's from Jasper, Alabama, ended up being uh, the so-called king of the four rounders. Yeah. But he ended up fighting uh, Larry Holmes, a, a 10-round fight. You know, um, wow, pretty good. So. Did did any professional opportunities come your way? Was that ever a thought that you entertained? Uh, no, not really, because because <laughs> I was looking at the one minute rounds and I was spent after that, and I couldn't imagine <laughs> going three minutes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd be laying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this has been awesome, Danny. We really appreciate you coming by to hang out with us a little bit today. And uh, we'll have to get you back on the program sometime soon, all right? I'll be willing to come anytime you want. I got I got plenty more stories. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's Danny Skutak. He's joining us here on the program. We'll go ahead and we'll take our next time out here on the show. And Sports Call will continue here in just a few moments. Tiger 95.9 FM.